0: Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 116. I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles this morning, to Psalm 116. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 14. And then over to Romans chapter 8. And we'll be picking up,
1: um, well, read verses 1 through 11, Romans 8. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> The psalmist cries out and says,
0: I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he's inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffer distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you've delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk in the land of the living. I believe, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord? For all his benefits to me. I will lift up the cup of salvation. And I'll call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord. In the presence of all his people. Precious in his sight, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant. The son of your maidservant. You have loosed
1: my bonds. Amen and praise God. Now I ask you to please turn with me to Romans. Chapter 8,
0: we're going to have a pretty narrow focus this morning, but we're going to read uh, 1 through 11 just for context. So Romans chapter 8, and this is the word of the Lord, Paul says, Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Amen. And praise God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you once again for your precious word. And I do pray, Lord, that you would be with all of us, that you would help us to be engaged, not to be distracted by the things uh, of the day or thinking on towards next week. But that our eyes, hearts and minds would be focused right here, right now, Lord, on you. I pray that you would be with me to bring forth your word by the power of the Holy Spirit, in spirit and in truth, Lord God and and that you would be honored and glorified. And I pray this in
1: Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. So our focus is going to be a, a little more
0: narrow today. Really, verses five through eight is what we're going to look at and focus on. But I want you to know, as we mentioned last week, as we started out last week, is this loud enough? Can you guys hear me in the back? We good? Okay. I don't feel that I'm loud enough. <laughs> I do want to... Let you know what Paul's teaching here. And it's all about our assurance as Christians. Because if you're, if you're living in Christ and you're in this world still, you're not going to have full assurance necessarily. You're going to have times of doubt. You know, do I really, am I really saved? Am I, I know that I am, but am I really, sa- am I going to be, sometimes in our weakest moments, those thoughts do creep in. I think if you're honest, you're, you're going to, You're going to admit that, you know, but then the Lord gives us assurance like he does here in his word. And so that's why we go to his word for that last week. And and Paul just continually in this chapter goes, boom, boom, assurance, assurance, assurance in different ways to let us know how deep the love of God is, how secure it is for for his people, that he's not going to let us go. I mean, if it was up to us, yeah, we would be we would be gone. But he keeps us. So last week we talked, Paul talked about uh, the one great aspect of assurance is that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to even review that. You can go back and listen to the sermon if you didn't catch that. But that's the first thing. The second thing that he does, and I don't know that he's doing it like planning out to do it. He's just speaking to what we have in Christ and who we are in Christ and how much he loves us. So he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on. In this portion, to kind of to to contrast who we were, what it looks like to have your mind set on the flesh, and who you are in Christ Jesus now, what it what it what it looks like to have your mind set on the spirit. So there's assurance by way of contrast that you can know for certain, for sure that your salvation is secure in Christ. Not just that inward kind of feeling, yeah, I know that he saved me, but it's even manifested in your life, man. It's manifested in your disposition. People can see that change in in your attitude, in your thinking, in your priorities, because he does change us from the inside out when we're regenerated. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. You're not who you were, right? You're not living for yourself anymore. You're not in the flesh, as Paul talks about here. And Just that fact should give you great assurance that you belong to Christ and that you will be with Christ the moment that you die. Amen? And praise God, because we long for that. So he starts off, and we're going to look at, he kind of goes back and forth, but we're going to take all the characteristics of unbelief and then contrast that with the characteristics of belief, which gives us that assurance that we all need. Amen? Okay, so first characteristic of, of unbelief. Listen, man, if you're not a Christian, and before he changes your heart, The reality is that you're not, God's not gonna really enter into your thoughts. When you're thinking about doing something or how you're going to live your life or, you know, you're not going to look to God as, as we do as Christians. You're not really going to consider him. You're not going to factor him in too much. You're not going to seek his will for your life. If you're not a Christian, you really have no thought of God. So Paul says this in verse five, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. And to set your mind means to, to, to be settled in it means to 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 give full attention to something with with your mind, like you're just absorbed in in that way of thinking um to to think to think about something in a very concentrated way that's kind of like your ethos so if you have a worldly mind, what are you going to be thinking you're going to be thinking in a worldly way, in a worldly wisdom that's just like apart from god's word that's not your standard that's not the guide. The way of the world is something else is. That 's worldly thinking, so what is it before you 're in Christ? a lot of like what we aim for in life is to achieve success in some way. the way the world defines success, so how, you know what 's that mean? What does success look like? Well, the world tells us what that looks like, and so we try to do that. We are encouraged to follow our feelings, do what makes you truly happy all right that 's the mind of the flesh, uh, the ultimate authority rests in some general consensus among people but increasingly, where is the ultimate authority being found in in ourselves? Yeah, I know what's right for me. You know, this is what I feel, and here's what I'm going to do. So more and more, it's becoming self-focused and self-centered, even our authority. Morality is relative. Ethics are situational. Priorities, oftentimes, are just achieving some kind of wealth or success or status, seeking pleasure. That's a worldly way of thinking. That's the mindset on the flesh. You're not worried about God's word. You're not worried about God's priorities. You're not worried about God's commands. Not at all. It's what you want. And even in our thinking, because he talks about our minds are set on the flesh. So if if it's set on that, like your thinking is going to be very arbitrary. It's not going to be settled. You know, you're not going to have an ultimate standard, which everything else springs from. It's going to be arbitrary. Always look for that when you're dealing with people that don't believe in the Lord. Their thinking is arbitrary. All that matters is a person's opinion, especially in this day and age. Opinion is everything, right? Forget about the facts. It's what I feel, how I feel. This is what, I, for me, to me, I think, I feel, I feel, I feel this, I feel that. That's what. That's arbitrary. There's no facts really to back that up necessarily. Uh, they're inconsistent, when you're thinking in a worldly way, it's very inconsistent. As Christians, we want to be consistent in our thinking all the way along. And if you follow Scripture, you will be. But so much of the, the thinking is, is just, so So even like in a moral way, morally thinking, there will be people who have a great, this is just one little illustration, great deal of concern for endangered animals okay so so there's an endangered like species uh, the lions are endangered and so they're going to do everything they can to stop the 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 killing of those and and you know what there's something to that there's that is there there's stewardship involved in that but the same person that does that that'll like kind of give their life so the eagle's egg won't be disturbed Will be all in when it comes to abortion. Well, that's a woman's right. So, so do you see the inconsistency there? So, in a moral way, you know, you can go wherever you want to go with that. There are so many illustrations or examples of that. But that's just one of being inconsistent. Well, I'm really concerned over here, and that's okay. There's there's something good about that. But on this hand, when it comes to something like abortion, well, that's a woman's right, and you're free to murder your baby. So that's inconsistent. That's a worldly way of thinking. It's not consistent. And even when it comes to like logically you know, people are going to believe what they want to believe as it suits them. We want to be thinking God's thoughts after him. We want to be consistent with scripture in that way, but logically people say, hey, I believe in science, except when it conflicts with my worldview. Again, we could, many examples, we can go back to abortion, the biology there, you know what that baby is, but you know, I don't want that to be true so I'm going to be inconsistent so I'm not going to be thinking logically in that way that is the mindset on the flesh it's not just doing anything you want to do it's partly that you know or being as bad as you can be or as evil as you can No, it's thinking in an inconsistent fashion not thinking God's thoughts after him basically that's a worldly way of thinking Right so you want to get into even a reasonable rational discussion about something oftentimes that turns into ad hominem attacks you're not going to discuss the actual facts or whatever the the situation is you're just going to go after the person or equivocation or a straw man you're going to use all these logical fallacies because you're not thinking consistently we don't learn so there's there's even in the thinking Arbitrary, inconsistent, and then the consequences. Consequences, time after time, we just do not learn. One illustration of that is kind of what's creeping in, even in our country now, but it's gone on for at least a century, and that's like Marxist communism. That's kind of, you know, consequences don't matter. It's been tried over and over and over again in different forms, in different ways, but every time it leads to the same thing. Destruction, death, chaos, confusion, right? But that's okay, we don't worry. This time when we do it, it's going to work because now we have it all figured out. But it always ends up in the same place. That's to have your mind set on the flesh. That's a worldly way of thinking. And the result of this, Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Um, verse six, for the mind set on the flesh is death. And that's where it leads it result that way of thinking results in death, and death is used in its fullest sense. It's futile those things end in futility, they're empty ultimately it shows a spiritual deadness of of that person in that life or in living in that way, and no matter what you achieve, no matter how much you gain, no matter how much you accumulate, none of that could keep you from facing judgment before God on the last day, so that's why it leads to Death. Understand? So that's the first thing you want to see. That mind set on the flesh is is leads to death. Look at the second thing in verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind, of verse 7, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So let's stop right there. It's another characteristic, an aspect of the mind that's set on the flesh. It's what? It's hostile to God. It is. There's no neutrality. You need to understand this and get this. And here's the key. It doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter. Again, when we talk about hostility towards God, you think of the people that are just out on the street, oh, I hate God, you know, holding up the signs and the new atheists and all that. That's all part of it to be sure but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how nice you are it doesn't matter how kind you are how helpful how hard-working how well-adjusted how reasonable you may be you could be a wonderful citizen but you are still hostile to God because your mind is set on the flesh and you know why because every single unbeliever including you before you were in Christ, has their breaking point when it comes to Jesus Christ, when it comes to the faith. No matter how much they say they re- admire Jesus or respect Jesus or hold Jesus up as this wonderful example, no, there's going to come a point in time where the nicest, kindest person, most well-adjusted person is going to say, no, I can't go that far. No, that, and that's that hostility that Paul's talking about here. It's not just, always oh, evil shaking your fist at God. It's rejecting God, and that's what they end up doing. I was driving the other day, and I saw a bumper sticker, and it, it, it said something to the effect. I should have had my glasses on. Ah, I'm in trouble now. It says something to the effect of, I like your Christ, but I can't stand you Christians or something to the effect. And I'm just like, I wish I could talk to that person. And right away, the scripture came to mind when Jesus said, if they hate you, remember that they hated me first. And all you have to do is is have a discussion. Listen, once the claims of the gospel are pressed, and we're called to press the claims of the gospel of Christ, once the demands of the law are brought to the fore, once you tell people about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ He is the only way, the truth, and the life. Then you'll see the hostility come to the surface, and it doesn't matter who you're talking to and how nice they could be and how wonderful they are. You know, the the sweetest, kindest person is going to say, no, I can't believe that. That is hostility towards Jesus Christ. So people will say, yeah, well, I believe in marriage. I absolutely believe in marriage. But, you know, I'm also okay with people living together because there's good reasons to do that in their mind. See that? That's the uh, And if you say he's a Christian, no, 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 no. That's that's a sin according to God. Well, how can that be a sin? You know, they they're they're it's actually smart because they're figuring out how if they're gonna be compatible in life and if they're gonna be able to get along in life. So it's actually a good thing. You say they turn everything around like that. But once you press the demands of the law and of the gospel, the nicest person's gonna say, "Mm mm-mm. People say they believe in God, but hey, if two people are in love. They should be allowed to be together. That's just the way, that's that's the way of love. Love is love, and that's what we need to be. Loving, isn't God loving in that way? But once you press the claims of the gospel, once you press the claims of the law and the truth, what happens to that very nice person? Well, what kind of person are you? How can't you say, how can't you accept that because these people are loving? Who are you not to do? What, you know, everybody has their breaking point. Oh, I respect Jesus. I do respect Jesus Christ. And I, I admire his, a lot of his teachings. But, he can't be the only way. There has to be. What about the people who've never heard of Christ? What about people who follow their religions very closely? And, and naturally, that's, that's narrow. And that's my, so, do you understand? That is hostility towards God. It's not just the one, because you still are shaking your fist because it's the, it goes contrary to the word of God. And so, Paul Paul's saying, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Understand that. Then he goes on and he says this. Well, even in our one more illustration on the hostility towards God, people will be as nice as they can be. But when circumstances change, things go bad for them. People are pretty good when things are right. God is good. God is all right. But once things go sideways, once deep trials come in, once tragedy arises, once difficulty strikes, what do people say? What kind of God is that? Why would God allow that? If God is so good, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? That God, see, man? And you'll notice this, even among your family and friends. So we're not just out there trying to find the most hostile people to the, it's, that's, that's, the na- that's the hostility of the nature. It's against God. That's what he's talking about here. That rejection and that point where people come to say, no, this far, no further. You can see that hostility when what they want is contrary to God's word, God's order, and God's command. And it sets in. Look at the second half of verse 7. The mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Stop right there. It doesn't submit to God's law. You know what that teaches us? That we are sinners by choice, we are volitional. He says, It does not. There's that volitional motivation and choice. They willingly transgress the law of God. Do you understand? That's the mindset on the flesh. They, they, by choice, they do that. It is hostile. It does not submit. It doesn't. The word doesn't speaks to volition. It's not
1: going to do that. I, I'm not going to do what he tells me to. And you could see that, especially...
0: When the restraints of God are taken off and the restraints of the law are loosened, you could see that willing transgression of God's law. That I'm not, I'm not going to to submit to the law of God. I'm not going to do that, especially as the restraints are lifted, where God seems so distant, where people are free. And I put that in quotes. People are free to be themselves, right? Romans one twenty four. We're told that they are given over to to their sin. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. When that law is gone, when there's nobody calling you to Christ, say, wait a minute, you're accountable to Almighty God. You cannot do this without judgment. And we call them out. When that's gone, when there's no restraint, when that salt is, is gone, they, ca- they 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 cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law of God. we have 2 Timothy? But understand this, that in the last times, um, but, and I'm sorry, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and not loving God. And so we see that volitional, This is what, it's coming out now because it's really, God doesn't see me and it doesn't even, like, there's no God. I'm not answering to anybody but myself or just the universe in some way. Isaiah 47, 10. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. We're in that time right now. We're we're in a place where people are just living as they would openly, willfully, disobedient towards God. And, and
1: you know, there's really not God there He doesn't even see me. Led you astray. And you say in your heart, I am. And there is no other besides me. And then Isaiah, of course, 520 through 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And that's how do we delineate
0: that? The good is found in God's word. The one who created his standard. Evil's contrary to that, but they call good evil and evil good who part, who are who put darkness for light, light for darkness, bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. they're that final authority. This is what's going on. they willingly transgress the law of God, you know in the Old Testament, especially like in first and second kings, you hear about the high places where they would go and, and even Israel would be carried away <clears throat> to sin and build. Temples and and gods and the people would go up and worship them on the high places. There's a lot of different connotations of the high places, but one of the connotations of that was that they would go up there in broad daylight before the gods and commit sexual immorality wide open for everyone to see. You know, and that's there there are a lot of fertility cults and gods and goddesses. And so they would do that in the high places. Just put when the restraint is gone that willful disobedience comes through. It's always there, but you see it so clearly when 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 God lifts the restraints of His law. We see it today, and we see it today very prominently in our lives. And as Christians, like even with the LGBT community, intentional, no shame, no restraint, no no regard for God. And just like in Isaiah chapter five, for them that is, and this is what you need to understand and know: for them that is freedom that is true freedom, that is truth, that is good, that is right, and that is authentic. Here is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I'm called to be, and I'm going to do that. I'm not going to hide it anymore. This is the truth. This is, I've, I'll, so you're seeing it happen, not just with the 25 and younger, that's, that poor generation is just really in, in deep trouble, but all ages, it's spanning all generations. People in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s are coming out. They're leaving their their family and they're living the life they always wanted to live in that way. That's this. That's what's going on here. That they are willful in their disobedience. Right? And then if you're not all in, then you are the sinful one. And you deserve retribution. Right? Because now you're the one that doesn't get it. You're the one that doesn't understand. You're the one who's not affirming. So you see that? It shows that. That's the mind that's hostile to God. It's not going to look for God in any way. It's not going to consider God in any way. And it's going to transgress the law of God. It's right there. They know in their heart, know in their conscience. You knew before you were a Christian. You knew what was right and wrong. You did it what you wanted to do. Sinners by choice. Then he goes on (laughs) again. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Again, let's stop right there. When he says, indeed, it cannot, that shows that we're not only sinners by choice, volitionally, but we are sinners by nature as well. We don't have the ability to please God in our flesh. We don't, it's by nature, we are children of wrath. It's our natural inclination. It's our natural bent. We are born in sin. That's what the scripture teaches us. So we have, that's that inability due to the depravity, due to our sins. So in other words, sin affects every aspect of our being. You know that? Every aspect from our minds to our hearts, to our wills, our bodies. That's why we die. That's part of the curse. Our eyes spiritually are blind to the truth. Our ears don't hear him. In that stage, so so it's it's not just our 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 choice; it's also our nature. By nature, we're children of wrath. That's why we need Jesus Christ so much, because He changes that by the Holy Spirit through His precious work. So that is sinners by choice and by nature, and it's very definitive. In verse eight, He just comes out and kind of sums it up. He says, "Those who are in the flesh cannot please God." You understand? No matter how hard somebody might try, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm trying hard. I'm doing my best. Your best isn't good enough. None of our best is good enough. That's why Jesus Christ came in the first place, because we're not good enough, because we can't do that. He did that for us. That's what's so glorious, man. That's what's so good. That's what's so right, righteous about him, that he took it upon himself to come and live the life that we can't because of our sin, to die the death we deserve, to die because of our sin, to be raised up, showing that he conquered death, overcame death, and gives forgiveness, meaning, and purpose, and hope. Until and unless he unstops your ears and opens your eyes, removes the heart of stone, gives you understanding, you will not know salvation, and then you will not have assurance of anything. Talk to any unbeliever, person that doesn't know God, about the afterlife. What's going to happen after this life? Where are, you, where are you going to go when you die? And you'll just be surprised at the variety of answers. Again, we get back to the arbitrary thinking. You know, well, nothing happens. We just turn into nothing. We just go back to earth. Okay. That's a that's a good discussion to have when you talk about justice and so forth. But uh, other people say, well, I do believe in a heaven. And I believe everybody goes to heaven. Or I do believe in reincarnation. And we do come back. And so everybody's going to have their opinions. And everybody's going to have their ideas on... On this matter, so, so, so you're not gonna, but you're not gonna know. You're not gonna have that peace. You're not gonna have that assurance. In the end, it's like, well, yeah, I think that this is gonna happen, or I hope that this is gonna, gonna be the way. This is why he says you can have assurance here. Apart from Christ, there's nothing like that. You won't have peace. You know that Augustine said that he tried everything in life, and he just he know he knew. That the heart is
1: restless until it finds its rest in Thee, O oh God. Amen. All right. Now that was you. That was me. That was all of us. So we don't stand up here like
0: holier than now. Oh, now we're good because we're we've been we're just sinners saved by grace, man. Right? We just receive that mercy from Jesus Christ. Undeserving. We deserve to be punished. Absolutely. But for his purpose, his reason, according to his plan, he did provide salvation for us. So there's no high ground. There's no holier than now. There's no standard like that. We are sinners saved by grace, man. That's it. We owe our love and allegiance to Christ because of what he's done for us. So this was you. This was me. This was all of us. But now here's the reality as we trust in Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul wants to get through. By contrast, okay? Mindset on the flesh is death. Mindset on the things of the Spirit is life. Go back up to 5B. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds according to the Spirit. So you can know you're a Christian and have love and have assurance if your mind is set on the things of the Spirit. Are they? Praise God. They need to be. And that just means this. And just put it in simple terms. The things that you thought were so important before you were a Christian, the things that you lived for, the things that meant so much to you, the things that helped form your identity are now eclipsed by the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God. Everything you thought you needed to be and wanted to be and hoped to be, to have whatever... Popularity, security, whatever it is—that doesn't mean anything anymore. It's been eclipsed by Christ. And if you have that, you could be assured of your salvation. It is great assurance in that. So, making money, having stuff, having status means very little to you now. It means something, of course. We need to live and so on and so forth. But that's not what my life is identified with. That's not what my life is about. It's about serving and loving Jesus Christ. That's it. And working for Him. You know, even in simple things, man. There are people that love to read. I was never a huge reader, but there are people that just love to read and they're voracious and they just read novels and they read books and, and almost form an identity around their book clubs and reading their books and, you know, murder mystery, live, true crime kind of things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But once you're a Christian, your mind kind of leaves that, like, as as important as that was to you, having those books and reading and, you know, uh, just being enthralled with that, that kind of loses its pull for you, doesn't it? Because now you're reading more and more scripture. Now you're led to read the Bible, and you still have a place for those things, but it's not like it was, because your identity is not there anymore. It's in Jesus Christ, so now you love his word. It's like that with Singers and artists and movie stars, sometimes you find your identity in a person, and those songs and those lyrics just mean so much to you and oh, this person's just speaking to me. I was kind of like that with Bruce Springsteen back in the day. I don't know why Springsteen of all people, but nevertheless, sorry, Bill, <laughs> he's still a Springsteen fan I like. But that was like kind of your identity and we'd be singing the songs and you know, so into that. And now for after Christ, not so much, not really at all. Now we're, now it's about singing Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. It's not that we don't listen to secular music. We have like that too, but it doesn't have the same meaning for us now. Our minds aren't set on that anymore. It's set on Jesus Christ. So listening to podcasts, one time you just like kind of listen to the popular podcast and everything that everybody else is listening to. Now you're drawn to listen to preachers preaching on the on the podcast, and and so your your mind is your identity's not in those things anymore. Even the people you hang out with, it's not that you don't have friends who aren't Christians, but you're more drawn to other Christians and you find fellowship with them. Do you understand? That's the idea behind this. You're being renewed. That's what does light have to do with darkness? So Paul says in in Second Corinthians, I'll just turn there real quick. You don't have to. 14, Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what part uh, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Biel? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement does, has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. You see, that's what's going on here. I'm losing my affection there, or whatever I put stock in, or where I might anyways, or where I was trying to find hope before. That doesn't, that's no, only in Jesus Christ. And then those other things have a proper place in our lives. So when Paul, even when Paul says this in First Corinthians about not being unequally yoked, which does light have to do with darkness? He doesn't mean that we we'll go Amish on people. It's not, it's not what he's saying. It's like, you know, we're not totally separate. Just earlier in First Corinthians, Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians 5, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters, since then you would, you would need to go out of the world. He's not saying that we separate from the world and just kind of have our own little commune and, and sacred community. No, that's not what he's saying. But he is saying that we will not and should not feel that pull so much to be with the world. And when you don't, you can know that you're truly converted and have assurance of salvation. The things of God become more important to you than the things of this world. That's it. Amen. Praise God. That's the bottom line. And those things that were so important to us have lost that, at least to a great degree, because of Jesus Christ. That, beloved, gives us assurance. That's what he's saying here. So he says... In verse seven, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile; doesn't submit, and indeed it cannot. You, however, verse nine, are not of the flesh, but of the spirit. In fact, if the spirit of God dwells in you, I'm I'm sorry. In fact, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, and I don't want you to lose this, and we're going to stop this sermon here. Um, We'll pick up with verse nine and and move on next time. But I want to kind of come to the end of this message by having you not miss. And don't miss this, the contrast that's implicit. It's not spoken out loud because remember in verse 7 when he said that for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, it doesn't submit to the law of God, it cannot, those who in the flesh cannot please God. There's implicit contrast there and I want you to get this. It's very important in terms of our uh, assurance in the Lord, the contrast with
1: assurance. The mindset on the flesh is hostile to the Lord. You're not. We are no longer hostile towards God.
0: Amen? And praise God. We have peace with God. His word is everything for us. I mean, there might be portions say, man, Lord, this is tough. This is hard. This obedience is going to be severe obedience. But we are in agreement with the word of God. Amen? Praise God. It's not like, oh, I just don't agree. I am not going to look to God. No, 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 no.
1: We're no longer hostile to God. We're at peace. He's made peace. It goes on to say, it doesn't submit to God's law. If you're a Christian, you can
0: know that you have assurance if you love God's law, if you love his word, man, if it's if you're in his word and, and, and you seek to submit to his law, I want to, Lord, I want to obey you. I want to please you. Do, forgive me when I don't. If, if that's our spirit, that's, that's uh, that assurance we have. That's that's uh, the, the contrast that's implicit. At, at one time, we 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 could not obey him by our nature. Now, by the spirit, we are able to truly obey from the heart. Do you truly obey him from the heart? Do you seek that kind of obedience towards Christ? Do you love him in that way? We do. Look at verse eight. Those that are flesh cannot please God. Implicit contrast with that is that we do please God. And more than that, and I really want you to get this, he is pleased with you. you understand that? That's a big deal here because I think so many of us struggle with that. He is pleased with us. We'll talk more about that because we're adopted into the family. That's more assurance but him being pleased with us is rooted in his covenant love for us. He has set his affection on us. Now that's the mystery that we can't begin to unravel or explain, but we know that he has if we're in Christ. So you need to know that he is pleased with you. And this isn't some rah-rah, try to build you up, you know, uh, mushy kind of thing. It is the truth. And it's bound because of Christ's covenant love for his people, and so you because I know you're going to think this because I know you're disappointed in yourself, you haven't pleased Christ the way you want to we all none of us have man, that's just the way it is in the Christian life, but there's great assurance in the fact that he that he
1: is pleased with you if you're a Christian, he's not going to say. When you die, well done, Tom. But Bill, you
0: were just okay. You know, you could have done better. Type, you're not going to hear that coming into the presence of the Lord. There's no, you know, could could have done better. The same love with which He loved Paul and saved Paul with is the same love that He has for us. The same Spirit, the same privileges. He's obligated Himself to us he knew what he was getting when he brought us to himself it's the same death of love the same intensity of love now of course he's going to chasten us right when we sin he chastens us we're going to feel the consequences of our sin he's going to allow us to experience difficulties those things are meant to teach us to refine us to grow in humility and dependence but he's not going to shake his head reluctantly and say oh Okay, Dave, come on in. I guess you you did okay. No, no, he's pleased with us and he's going to, he's going to, 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 to love us in that way. It's not a reluctant acceptance. Come anyway. No, it's like the prodigal son and just, just the one portion of, of, of that story. The prodigal son and the older brother, the reception that the father gave to both of them shows this idea of not being See, it's the opposite of, of, of pleasing God and God being pleased with us is God being disappointed with us. And I think that's a real concern for a lot of us. Like, I don't want him to be disappointed with me. I know what he's done, and I love him, but I know myself. So, so think about even the prodigal. Do we have Luke 15? This is the son, you know, the prodigal goes away, spends all the money, squalor. Then he decides, I'm going to go back to my father after I've embarrassed him, after I shamed him, after I spent all my inheritance and, and sinful living, I'm going to go back to him. Was the father disappointed when the kid was coming back, you know, shaking his head No, no, he arose, he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced and kissed him, and and they killed the fat, because he loved him. So there wasn't this like, Okay, son. I hope you learned your lesson. You disappointed me, but no, I love you. And here's what we're gonna do to celebrate that. And then even the older brother. No, oh, he's the jerky brother. He's the legalistic brother. He's yeah, he was was all that. He's the he's the bitter brother. I've been with you all this time. You haven't even given me one little baby cap to celebrate with my friends. What does the father say to him? Was he disappointed in his reaction? I'm disappointed in you, son. No, he says to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. You see that? Think about that. There's not going to be this kind of, oh, you know, you didn't live up to the expectations that I have. So many people live with that. Don't do that. Right here. That, that should be great assurance. We can't please him in the flesh. He is pleased with us and we, he is pleased with us as we belong to him. Don't worry about performance, man. Don't worry about trying harder, being better concentrate on living faithfully concentrate on faithfulness man cultivate your faith with jesus christ through the means of grace through the word through prayer through sacrament through fellowship with other fan those flames that that he's given us inside live for him that's what we're called to do i know that you desire obedience if you're a christian all of us do we desire faithfulness we desire to please him and we don't do it so that he will love us, you know, it's it's not or that he won't be disappointed with us. But we do it because he does love us. And he's not disappointed, but he's pleased. He is pleased. Was Jesus disappointed in Peter? When Peter denied him three times. See, and I'm I'm laboring this because I think a lot of us struggle with this. I know you love me, Lord, but I don't think I'm worthy enough. I mean, in a sense, we're not worthy enough, right? But but He's made us worthy, and and I feel ashamed. And I and I, and I, I are you really pleased? Are are you disappointed in me somehow because I didn't live up to? But I keep falling into
1: that same sin, man, and I keep doing what I don't want to do. I'm pleased. I'm pleased. Was Jesus disappointed with Peter? After Peter denied him, even when he looked at him, it wasn't like a, a look of disgust. Like
0: when he looked at him, he just looked, and it caused Peter to break down because he knew the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus never said or even implied that he was disappointed with Peter. Disappointed? He already knew. Jesus knows every sin that you will ever commit. And he's already paid for that on the cross. He pledges never to forsake us no matter what. His love is unconditional towards us. You understand? Now, we may be disappointed in ourselves. Sure, of course, every single day. So we repent and we come to the Lord, but he's not surprised. He knows your frame and he loves you and his love Never fails. On this we can be sure. That's assurance, man. Isn't that? He knows. And he's not going to cast us off. And he's not, there's no second class citizens in heaven. Oh, these are the good ones. And these are just the okay ones. No, 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 no. We're all one before him. And when we're before him, it's going to be like having his full attention on you personally while Everybody's in his presence. How that's going to manifest, it can't begin to unravel. But that's the truth of the love of Christ. There's no tears with his love. Like we we can kind of love, when we love our kids
1: the same with the same intensity in different ways somewhat. But it doesn't change the fact of how much we love them. All right? And we don't do that perfectly. Of this we can be sure that he loves us, that we please him, and that he's pleased with you. So, don't waste your time wondering. Don't waste your time worrying. Don't waste your time beating yourself up. But you go out and you live more fully for him because of these